whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here, who is the founder of the incredible brand, Cultus Artem. And if you do not know what this brand is, you are definitely going to figure it out very, very quickly because this founder, Holly Tupper, is just absolutely so, so inspiring. And as I said, she is the founder of Cultus Artem, known for not just jewelry, which is what she started out with, but also luxury fragrance. Many people know I was actually chatting with a friend, telling her that I was interviewing her. And she's like, oh, my God, her fragrances are gorgeous. They're so lovely. And her moisturizer I was just talking to her about, which I was fortunate enough to try, just part of her skincare is just absolutely to die for. So you have to, have to, have to check this brand out for sure. 
But the brand is all about the art of adornment while using traditional time intensive techniques as a means to transform rare, precious materials into distinctive sensorial um, compositions. So uh, we'll hear a lot more about that for sure. But without further ado, I just want to say hi to Holly and have her do the talking instead of me. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So very, very excited to meet you and to have you on the show for sure. So I'd love to hear before we get going and and hear a lot more about you. Where did the name Cultus Artem come from? Oh, thank you for asking. (laughs) I have always loved etymology and, you know, where words come from and how words are used. I think particularly these days with all the, you know, the noise that we've had to hear recently. Meaning of words is, to me, it's important. And when I moved uh, from Singapore to the United States a few years ago, I rebranded my company. Before, uh, in the before time, I had always worked under my own name, Holly Tupper. And I think that was sort of a holdover from having studied art and having been a painter and jewelry designer and maker you know, you sign your 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 work with your name. And so I just always thought, well, that's what my company should be called. And I get to the States and go to a trade show and some person who's trying to be a distributor goes, oh, really dumb idea. Really, you do not want to use your name for your company. Because if you ever sell and in the, you know, fragrances are really hot right now, you're toast because you've basically sold the rights to your personal name. So why don't you think about that name thing? So... I sat and I thought, you know, what is it that we do? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? And that, you know, became the, sort of the exercise and the being occasionally a little obtuse and deep. I actually, in the etymological sense, went all the way back to Proto-Indo-European words. And I was kind of coming up with some names and I thought, well, you know, I think there are probably a lot of people that don't even realize that there is such a thing as proto-Indo-European words. And maybe why do we move this up the food chain to Latin? Because a lot of people understand Latin. <laughs> yeah. And so the the name cultus artem is from Latin. And cultus is not only the root word for culture and cultivation, but in Roman times, the act of cultus was performed by highly skilled practitioners. It involved first the application of makeup, which one might imagine 2,000 years ago was gross, hard to work with, incredibly smelly, all mineral-based. And after they would be made up, and this was for men and women, they would be perfumed to mask the smell of the horrible thing that they just put on their faces, at the, which was probably full of lead and all kinds of you know horrible things. And the chemist of the day had actually learned how finally to extract uh, into liquid form fragrance, here before it had been, you know, resin in the form of resin and been burnt as incense and as offerings and temples and so forth. And then finally, after being perfumed, the um, the person would be uh, bejeweled with their with their jewelry. And I thought, okay, well, I've been making jewelry for 35 years. I am uh, now, and I've been, at that point, I'd been perfuming for 15 years. And I had the idea of a small skincare, you know, capsule collection. So I thought, okay, well, cultus, the act of cultus is cool. But how are we doing this is very artful. And so Artem is the root word for making art. It's the conscious arrangement 
of elements to affect the senses and emotions. And so I love it. Gym, which is kind of the long, long-winded answer. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I love it. It has a meaning on to, as I said, you know, what we do, how we do it and why we do it. So. So you, how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. 
I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Touched on this, but you are an artist and you started out with jewelry. Did you think you were an entrepreneur? Did you think you were a jewelry designer? I mean, how did you think about, you know, your your start? I it's sort of an interesting question. I'm not sure that I well, I certainly didn't sit down and write a business plan when I was first making jewelry. And I I don't think I approached it from that perspective. I think I started making things and then people thought they were nice. And I was so, Ooh, that's sort of nice that they think it's nice. <laughs> and I, it is sort of one thing sort of led to another, I suppose. But it was sort of, you know, as I progressed, it became sort of more codified as a, as a, as a business. And in terms of entrepreneurship, it's a big E word. But I think that innately a lot of people... Um, feel like sometimes it's okay just to sort of go for something, just to try it and see uh-huh. what happens. And that's sort of the root of entrepreneurship. It's that willingness to just kind of, you know, give something a shot maybe. Um, so I'm not sure that I felt like I was really an entrepreneur, but I just sort of innately maybe, you know, had the makings of one or something. <laughs> so this started in in Singapore, uh, yeah, you actually started creating your beautiful objects, and then uh-huh. and then selling them. Did you sell them in stores, or how did you actually uh, get your products out there? Um, well, the yes, I sold in stores, but I also, I guess, I sort of started at the the fair kind of level. You know, there were at the time in Singapore, it was very difficult for accompanying wives. And at that point, I was an accompanying wife. I had actually had a career in um, in Wall Street in the brokerage business as um, a institutional bond salesman and fixed income at Payne Weber, which no longer exists. But I had done that for about eight years, worked on a huge trading floor in New York City, you know, one of three women in a sea of 3,000 guys. That was pretty funny. And then, you know, got to Singapore, decided to... Um, take a leave of absence from the brokerage business and cast around and did the things that nice expatriate housewives at the time did, which was, you know, join ladies organizations and take classes. And I happened to take a class in jewelry bead stringing. 
and it kind of became addictive. And finally, one couldn't eat at our dining table because it was covered in beads. And then I ended up teaching the class. And then after a year or so, I I felt frustrated that I, I was having to buy manufactured fittings and I wanted to find a, a course that I could take to learn how to become a goldsmith or silversmith. And there weren't really classes like that on offer in Singapore at the time, except for this one gentleman named Ed Ong. And he had a training school for young Chinese kids to gain just enough knowledge to go be apprenticed to traditional Chinese goldsmith shops. <laughs> so it was me, the you know, the New Yorker. <laughs> coming with, in. Yeah, New Yorker coming in, move over, with 15, 15-year-old kids from the heartland of Singapore who were learning how to, you know, do these bits. And it's sort of one thing led to another. So as I started to become more adept at goldsmithing, that's when I started to make much more interesting jewelry that was more worthy of being sold in stores. And so I did sell in stores in Singapore and then many years later had my own boutique. But to begin with, so it's it's one thing to enjoy jewelry and and uh, love making it. It's another thing to create a pretty nice business, one where people are they know your name, uh, they know the brand name. How did you create awareness? I mean, why do you think people picked it up in the early days? I think that it was um, because I would engage the consumer in the process of making the, the jewelry in many instances. And I think by allowing them to participate in the creation of something that they aspired to, um, that that helped a lot. And, you know, I, I did have some very interesting clients at the time, some Malaysian royalty, for example, and they would come to my studio and we'd sort of sit on the on the floor and um, and play with, you know, stones and beads and, you know, and, and, kind of compose things, you know, with me giving a lot of direction, obviously, because I was the one that had the skill set and I was just trying to help them to actualize their um, aspired piece. But, and I guess it was sort of word of mouth and by being in stores, and I did actually get a little bit of press when I was, you know, first getting started in Singapore and some of the local fashion magazines, which also helped. Interesting. So they were sort of, uh, um, kind of your micro-influencers, maybe in some, in some way, right? Where there was a way to do that. <laughs> right. No, I love it. I love it. Where do you get ins inspiration from for, you know, any of your products? I think mostly, I think, from nature, you know, particularly with perfume. It's um, the olfactory experience for me is pretty intense. And I, and I really do take inspiration from get smells that I smell along the way of life. And, you know, and sometimes if it's particularly compelling fragrance, I'll really sort of sit with it. I mean, that's how I, for example, designed one of um, my perfumes, which is called Champaka. Champaka is actually a flowering tree that grows wild in the forests or jungles of Southeast Asia. And I had never heard of it. And when living in Singapore, I used to take our dogs uh, jogging in an old abandoned cemetery. And every once in a while, I would, you know, smell this incredible fragrance. And I'd stop and I'd try and peer through the foliage to see where it was coming from. And I could never find a blossom. And time went by and I happened to be in Bali working on a sampling production for some fashion. And after I'd finished, I went to the local produce market. And in front of the produce market were a women sitting in front of large baskets filled with uh, you know, flowers and palm fronds. So people would make their own mm, like offerings for their home spirit temples. 
and it was a basket of the rose petals and a basket of the lang lang and jasmine and so forth. And then there was that smell, <laughs> that smell from Singapore, from the, you know, the abandoned cemetery. And I said to the, you know, you know, apa ini ibu? Oh, ini champaka. Oh, teravaka si banyaki bunya. Anyway, so I get back to Singapore, go to the local nursery and ask the nurseryman, do you ha- have any um, champaka? And the guy said, oh, yeah, I've got tons. It's just, they're over there. I was like, oh, geez, I had to go all the way to Bali to find this. So I bought a tree and I and I brought it home. And when it would bloom, I would just sort of sit in front of it and in, absorb the experience of the fragrance. And from that, I started to compose a perfume. Because a perfume isn't made of just one ingredient. A perfume is made of hundreds of ingredients. And it's a balance of those ingredients to, you know, achieve the the final kind of artistic expression of my personal experience with that, you know, inspiration or whatever. So, but I would say that a lot of, of my inspiration, particularly for skincare and, and perfume, has come from nature itself. Nature and travels to places. Yeah, uh, exactly. yeah. It's so, so interesting. Uh, and which is, what's the name of that one in particular, that fragrance? It's called Champaka. It is called Champaka. Wow, that's, it, that's uh, such a great story. Customer education isn't just nice to have for growing businesses. It's essential. There are only so many hours in the day for you and your team to personally onboard and address the needs of your growing number of customers. That's why you need Thinkific Plus. Thinkific Plus provides businesses like yours with a powerful, easy-to-use educational platform to keep your vendors, partners, and customers informed, engaged, and coming back. With Thinkific Plus, you can create memorable, interactive content with live sessions, communities, assignments, engagement surveys, and more. You can sell individual courses directly to customers or bundle them for large organizations. Generate monthly recurring revenue through membership programs and course subscriptions. Plus, you can transform leads into brand advocates by offering high-value education at every stage of the customer journey, helping your business to grow too. Sign up now for one incredible offer. Our listeners get one free month of Thinkific Plus when you visit the special URL, thinkific.com slash Kara. Get your free month today at T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C dot com slash K-A-R-A, thinkific.com slash Kara. Your fragrances are also all natural and clean fragrances. So mm-hmm. to the you know average consumer who is not in this industry, or I should also say business person who's not in this industry, what does that mean in the fragrance and I guess beauty industry overall? You know, here in the States, it's, it, it's a good question because we don't really have the same level of regulation that, for example, exists in the European Union. So in, in England, you know, um, you can't just sort of call something organic. It has to be certified as organic. And here we can, you know, I can say that my life is organic. And yeah. it's like, yeah, great. <laughs> but so the way that I like to describe it, I think, is just to say that my fragrances are made from natural botanical ingredients. So instead of synthetic substitutions for those odors that are created in a 
chemistry lab using a petroleum molecule as a base molecule in order to recreate the smell of. Mine actually are Bulgarian rose or jasmine sambac from Tamil Nadu in, in, in India. And those uh, botanical ingredients, whether they're flowers or stems or leaves or roots or the sap or resins that come out of trees, they are distilled and taken from a physical shape into a liquid form. And those are the ingredients that I'm using for fragrance. And they are, they're much more complex because they're whole odors as opposed to what happens when um, a lab tries to make a, an odor synthetically. And, and they're beautiful. And there are many, many beautiful smells that you know get made at, at these um, uh, fragrance houses. They really are chemistry, uh, you know, not so much fragrance, but is that it, it's synonymous with taking vodka and turning it into a Pinot Noir. Uh-huh. And whereas I'm just starting with the Pinot Noir grapes. Huh. So that's sort of the best way to describe it, I think, in a way that sort of makes sense, because there is a lot of confusion, particularly in, in fragrance and in cosmetics and in beauty, because the marketing language has become so obtuse and and on all sides. So people that are trying to claim, you know, being green or sustainable or organic or natural or, you know, real versus fake or whatever, they they use a lot of kind of obtuse language to describe things and they're not very clear. And I try and be as clear as possible so that people understand. I want people to understand why my things smell the way they do and why they work the way they do because of what they're made with and what that they really are made with instead of alluding to them being made with something. <laughs> it totally makes sense. So what is the most difficult fragrance that you've created? Well, there's several. I think probably um, because the fragrances, I have eight fragrances in my collection right now. And um, as a perfumer, when I first started, I was perfuming as an artist using natural ingredients. And I wasn't really paying too much attention to um, regulations. And so we don't really have regulations in the States, but in the European Union, we have um, the EU, and then we have a body that's known as IFRA, and they advise uh-huh. European Union regulators about potential allergens for both beauty and fragrance. And I thought, you know, oh, these people, they'd be stupid, you know, whatever. And I was being the artist. <laughs> and I thought, no, actually, I am going to make perfume using natural ingredients but that is going to be compliant with EU and IPRO regulations because that's actually more of a creative challenge because they have, of course, outright banned things that are hazardous. But beyond that, they have a huge list of items that are suggested use in certain percentages because they potentially could be allergenic for some people in certain concentrations. Uh So people tend to, in my situation, really become very strict about how they interpret that and they interpret it to the most strict sense. So if it's potentially allergen, we don't use it at all, period. And if it's, you know, um, you're only allowed to use it in 4% of your solution, you might use it only to 2% or 1% or not at all. So um, the difficulty with making fragrances then has been to reformulate when the EU has changed some of their regulations because they're constantly looking at what they consider to be potentially allergenic. So aside from any animal product, I mean, for example, in fragrance, we used to use for major animal byproducts, ambergris from whale, castorium from beaver, civet from civet cats, and um, musk from musk deer. Well, of course, we don't do that anymore. Um, ambergris a little bit because the ambergris comes up, it might have been washed up 
to shore from something that happened 200 years earlier. So it's uh-huh. not, you're not harvesting an animal to retrieve the, the perfumery ingredient. So interesting. And you also came out with a skincare uh, line. Yeah. Is, that, is that your newest? It is. Um, I, I th- this is sort of a COVID thing. You know, when the really early days of lockdown, I looked under my sink. I think I now that because I have to stay home, I'm going to deal with all this icky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I just like, I think I was a deed. You know, I'm not a huge buyer of cosmetic materials and stuff like that. But what is all this nonsense that I had? And I had always wanted to create a capsule skin collection where the the best quality ingredients that are the most efficacious are combined in products that are, you know, pleasant to use and where you're not having to buy the vitamin C serum and then the under eye wrinkle cream and then the neck furring thingy and the single ingredient or single efficacy kind of products because it's not necessary to do that. I think we we overconsume and which means we waste a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. we create a lot of pollution. And I thought, you know, really what I'm interested in is creating really gorgeous product that is multiple ingredient, multifunctional, but you know, just reduce the amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we have a cultist arts and we have our own chemist. And um, my chemist and I started to compose using uh, some of the same kind of uh, approach to natural materials as we do with the skincare. So it is the newest. And we have uh, basically created this one product, but comes in three different textures. So we have for people who prefer an oil, an oil, um, a moisturizer texture, and a cream texture. But we've chosen to put all three of the products in the same container to, of course, reduce waste. So the cream, for example, is might be the same texture as the type of cream that one would find typically in a pot, but we have elected to put it in the same glass um, uh, vessel as the other two products so that we are not creating multiple packaging, you know, protocols as well, but little practicing. So very different than the other two categories that you've taken on under your brand, but I mean, incredible. And you use a lot of nuts in it. Is that what you were? Um, yeah, your um, botanical um, ingredients that have a great deal of efficacious uh, activity for improving one's skin's ability to retain moisture. So they, they're biomimicry kind of ingredients, and they are from you know, nuts and, and seeds as well as, um, you know, as other fruits. But we also are using, um, you know, sea kelp and shiitake mushroom extracts as well because they are also very um, proven to be very efficacious in terms of reducing fine lines and, you know, plumping the skin and helping to retain moisture. That's, it's so. amazing. It's such a nice product. So it'll, uh, and my favorite sort of nut ingredient is actually, um, prickly pear cactus. So it's not really a nut nut. It's actually the cactus pear. <laughs> so interesting. Like not yeah. what you would think uh, would be uh-huh. a very uh, moisturizing. Um, it, it's gorgeous. It And the it, the uh, the skin, the hand feel to it as well is super fabulous. So it's an, it's an oil that um, is very moisturizing without being super... Mm, greasy feeling. Yeah. You know, or, or sticky just, or anything. Yeah. Right. No, it, it's, it's very, very nice. So, so you started your company 30 years ago and, mm-hmm. but I feel like 
um, you've continued to create and expand and learn. Uh, you know, you're launching a uh, skincare line, right? Like you're you're continuing to innovate, which is incredible. And frankly, it's what most entrepreneurs uh, should be doing, right? They get bored when they're not doing it. And, uh, and, um, but when do you know that a business is successful, uh, you know, or, or not successful? I mean, that's, I think that's sort of the entrepreneur's dilemma. Uh, it, yeah. It, you know, we bang our heads against the wall over and over. So we think we, you know, we find a, a part of the market that where there is a need or, you know, that, that where there's a gap and, and we think we have a brilliant idea for what how to fill that gap. And um, I think sometimes we think some of our ideas are really fabulous. And I, I don't know. I, I, it is a very difficult question to answer. And I am uh, not pugnacious, but I am definitely, I've learned over the years to to really push and to try harder. When people say no, and I know that it's not really a hard no, because there are possibilities, I'll I'll try and find another route. I think part of that has come from, one, working in the brokerage business with all those guys and having to kind of, you know, shoulder pad my way through the whole experience, two, living outside the United States and working always for years and years and years in cultures which were not my own, and having to be sensitive to how to describe what it was that I was trying to do in a language that, first of all, wasn't shared. It might not even been anything other than a stick drawing, uh-huh. and three, how to kind of encourage people to come on board with helping me to make the thing that I was interested in trying to make, even if it wasn't something that they typically made. So it might have been a skill set that they had. They might have been something that I wanted to do with beading, for example. And it might have been that they knew how to do beading, but the format in which I wanted to do the beading was total anathema. So how did you work through those problems? But when it comes to product in the market and as a business owner, it's it's hard, you know. You you make a baby, and you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because just maybe other people will realize that your baby is really gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. You have to say, um, I've invested so much in this, and it's not going anywhere. And then it becomes dollars and cents decision. You say, would I be better off spending this money developing something else? You know, and have I? You know, what, where do I have to pull the plug? Because, yes, we do make mistakes. I make designs sometimes that are just, they don't pass the smell test even for me. <laughs> and then you just put them to the side and, and yeah. uh, or bring them back at another point yeah. or add on yeah. to it. Yeah, no, I mean, you can definitely see that. I love your marketing, by the way. It's so beautiful. I mean, when you go to your website, it's just, it really speaks to, I think, what the brand is and who you are and uh, as well. So how how important do you think marketing is in terms of getting people to really fall it's in love not, with your brand? Yeah, it, it's completely vital. You know, you, you might be the, the cleverest person in the world and created the most amazing thing, but unless you can describe it and share it with people, how will they know? Uh-huh. You can build a website that's gorgeous and if nobody knows about it, who's going to go to it and shop on it? You know, um, when I first moved to the United States, I ran into like old friends from school days or whatever. And they'd say, so what are you doing these days, Holly? And and um, I said, well, I'm making perfume. And they said, well, that's lovely. Tell me about it. And I said, oh, it's really nice. It's all natural. Yeah. I realized, <laughs> I was like, 
what I was doing had been such a personal expression of my own artistry that I hadn't yet developed a language to share it with people. And so it was a total turnoff to the people who were listening or who had asked me the question. And so marketing is 100% vital. You have to have something that's worthy of marketing. So these days, there are a lot of companies that create a marketing story, and then they create the product. Uh And in my case, I've always created the product, and then I have to create the story around the product, or I have to create the language around the product to describe the product to people in a way that they can relate to it, and they can share in it, and they can enjoy it. And uh, But it is very, very important to tell the story of what it is that you're trying to share in a language that people can understand. That doesn't mean you dumb it down. It means that you make it as elevated as possible but that you don't exclude people from it. So mm-hmm. like choosing a name for a company that's proto-Indo-European word, that was an example of being a stretch. But, you know, using uh, a name that's still a stretch that some people have a hard time pronouncing, maybe it wasn't the best name, but, but it does speak exactly to the type of business that we have. So marketing is important. No, I think that name is, I think it's actually <laughs> quite memorable. So I, many years ago, I came up with the name Hint. I didn't use a naming agency. And I think it, for but, me, it was a, uh, it, it's, you know, naming is so critical and you have to be able to remember it. And, uh, and it's, it's one where I think once you're told it, it sort of rolls off your tongue a little bit, not all two word names, kind of do but i i think it's it's awesome so really really nice so best piece of advice uh that you've gotten as you've uh weathered your journey grown your company uh however you want to view it uh along the way i mean what what is it that that you think back on and you think yeah that this is uh that was a big piece of advice i feel like so often advice is something that Maybe you don't even really realize it until uh, later on in in the journey when you need to really recognize that piece of advice that it was like, oh, gosh, that was so true. Yeah. Um, There are so many little pearls. Um, A piece of advice, a recent piece of advice, I think, that I think has been very helpful is one of the issues that we have is that... um, we sell our products in, in various environments, department stores to to small boutiques to um, e-commerce. And we have to uh, occasionally hire our own salespeople to work in the department store environment, whether it's at Bergdorf Goodman or Neiman Marcus or whatever. And training those people in order to be able to sell our product because they've become the face of the business, essentially. And then a piece of advice from my husband was to really, you know, forget the elevator pitch, create an acronym, something that's like four words, three words to four words long, that your salesperson, if they are just completely like at a blank, what are the three words that come to their their mind immediately? Yeah. Tap, you know, terroir, atelier, provenance, you know, or whatever your acronym is that that immediately reminds them of those, the pitch, the story, the marketing that um, they need to come up with. And, you know, by simplifying it to an acronym, it really it can be, you know, very useful. And also the exercise to create the acronym is a great exercise internally in the company because we have to really think about how we talk about our products. 
Yeah. If somebody along those lines, somebody once said to me that, you know, saying the same thing about your brand over and over and over again, it may right. seem like it's getting old to you. But as <laughs> you uh, can, if it becomes something that your consumer starts to right. talk about it, um, it, then you know that you've done your job. Right. That they if because they will go tell their friends about why they like uh, Cultusarum as well. Right. That and they'll talk about those specific words to describe it. So I totally agree. And I think it's it's great advice for sure. So, well, thank you so much uh, for all of your time and this interview. And we'll have all of the information about Cultusarum in the show notes. And obviously you can buy it on the website. Uh, also, you mentioned Burgruff Goodman, uh, Neiman Marcus, and uh, some other uh, very beautiful uh, stores as well. But definitely check out the website because you have uh, really everything there. And it's just really, really beautiful. So thank you again, Holly. Have a it great... So much fun. <laughs> yeah, super fun. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you. You too. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.